Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Hey guys, uh, good evening. Hope things are going good. Glad to be with you guys again. A little bit of announcement. Uh, We are actually going to, Scott recommended because I had some changes in my schedule. And because uh, I was supposed to go to Oklahoma City next Thursday, Friday, uh, but they made a change. And now I've got to go Wednesday, Thursday. And he's like, hey, man, do you think you could really just land it in one week? I'm like, ooh, all right, a little challenge. So we're going to try to do our best to cover three chapters this last night uh, and do it properly. Uh, but try to go through and really break down three chapters. We only did this one at a time, and I about passed out doing it. Uh, but man, I want to tell you just from my heart how much I have thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with you guys. And I told, I told Scott, and I'm sure this is such an inappropriate way to say it, and, and I'm going to take lots of backlash for this. I said, dude, letting me teach Bible for an hour and a half is like giving crack to an addict. I mean, this is literally playtime for me. Uh, this is like... I get to teach Bible for an hour and a half. I'm giddy. Uh, he's like, man, you know, do you like doing it? you enjoy it? I was like, well, I've taught. It's my first time to, I think, ever teach an adult class. Never done that before in my life. Uh, so I was kind of like, I don't know what this is going to be like. I'm just going to be me, and here we go. Uh, but truth be known, man, uh, it's been fun hanging out with you guys and just watching you guys draw things out of the text. That, ah, I hadn't thought of that. That's awesome. Uh, and then even beyond that, you know, I got, I got a chance to impact the Word of God for an hour and a half. And I can't, other than sitting in a deer stand or... Uh, you know, fly rod in my hand, you know, man, the Lord's going to hold me accountable for those words. Uh, there's not much else I kind of say rather do. Uh, this is up there, though. So, and truly, this, this text we're getting into tonight, whoa, it, it to me is, is one of those vile scriptures ever. It, I think it's the most, other than what they did to Jesus, uh, you know, uh, there in Jerusalem with his beating and the crucifixion, uh, I, I don't think I know of a more vile text than this. I don't think I know of anything more violent than this. And so I always love having you guys dialogue. Uh, this tonight is not going to be about you. We've always done things that have like, hey, tell me at your table something about you. Tonight, I want you to think of, in terms of you know, the news that you've seen in the last four or five years, two or three years, whatever you want to pick. Uh, go around, and I want you to think, in your mind, what's the most vile thing you've heard come out of our news or something you've seen on TV that truly... Shocked you beyond anything that you thought, I, I, I don't think I could have, could have written something that vile taking place. Hey, and this is a great thing to talk about at church. Uh, but in light of where we're going with judges tonight, I want to set some context that our culture is not necessarily that different. So go ahead, talk about, just fire around, think of something you've seen on the news that's like when you heard it, you're thinking, that, that's the sickest thing I've heard in a long time. All right? There we go. Fun conversation.
All right. <clears throat> Good wrap up. We'll jump into this. Uh, I didn't watch the video. I chose not to press play. And like anything you see online, uh, it could have been a hoax. Could be something that was uh, a farce. Uh, but I remember uh, I was clicking on on Drudge Report. Clicked through an article, which you know at the bottom of these articles it pops up all these links and videos and all kinds of other stuff. And uh, you know, and I didn't watch it. But it was this week, and, uh, and and if you watched it, I don't want to hear about it. And uh, and I'm hoping that it's just somebody making up something that's not true. Uh, but but in it, it showed a guy. Uh, the, the the caption, the video caption was about ISIS uh, killing Christians, and uh, and it had two guys sitting there. I remember sitting against a wall, no shirts on, uh, just sitting against the wall, and the guy had a chainsaw in his hand, and it oh. talked about beheading. And for me, I looked at it going, that's the most vile thing I, I've heard in a long time. And, uh, you know, it, it, we live in a culture, we live in a society where vile things take place. Uh, you watch the nightly news, it, man, we've kind of made almost an understanding in our house. We can't even watch the news with our kids, you know, in the room anymore. Uh, just because of, of all the things that come out. And, and tonight, you're going to see a text come to life that honestly, I can't even believe it's in the Bible. This is so sick. Uh, it is so horrific, it's so violent, it's so, it's one of the worst things in, in all of Scripture other than Jesus, uh, you know, Him being slaughtered and, and killed on the cross. Uh, but with that being said, the depiction here, I, I just, I can't make it easy. We're going to go through three chapters. I'm going to read a lot of it, not because you can't, but because I would say for some of us, we've never explored this before, and we'll break down some texts, we'll kind of tear some things apart. It's just sick, man. It's just sick, sick text. And, uh, and again, one thing I love about Jesus, uh, one thing I love about the Word of God, is that with, if, if you're writing your family history, if you're, you're writing your family story, we're not putting sick stuff like this in, in our autobiography. And as God writes you know, his bi- you know, biography, as he unpacks you know, the journey he takes from Genesis to Revelation to rescue uh, and to save, I, I would have left this one out, man. I just, I wouldn't have inspired, if it's Samuel that wrote this, I wouldn't have inspired Samuel to write it. I'm like, hey man, did you think about, you know, what it says about Jesus, if, if everything were to be recorded about the, the miracles and things he did, you know, there wouldn't be enough, you know, books to hold it all. You got to think, this is just one story. Keep in mind all the other junk that's going on. This is just one story. Um, another thing, keep in mind that we've talked about, this is actually the beginning of Judges. So what's happened is the writer has showed us problem after problem after problem after problem. He gets here and he says, I want you to see what started. And what starts a problem, I want you to read all of it. I'm going to, give, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit here. Not like you'd ever want to put cats in bags, but Mark Christian might, but that's a whole other issue. Um, kind of let the, the cat out of the bag on this one is over and over, it's been an outside force oppressing the Israelites. You know what I mean? It's been the Canaanites, it's been the Philistines, it's always been this, this outside oppressor. But I think what the, what the writer wants you to see right now, he wants you to see like, oh, I've told you it was this group. I've told you it's this group. I've told you it's idolatry. But listen, before you ever saw an idol, before you ever met a Canaanite, before you ever met a Philistine, before you ever met any of these people, guess what? The issue is the Israelites' own heart. They were corrupt. They were corrupt even long before all the other outside forces got to them. Their hearts were a mess. And, and I'll kind of give you one other glimpse here. So many times in our culture, and I mean our church culture, we want to blame outside forces 
outside problems for why the church is so screwed up at times. And hey, I'm not talking about Christ Church of Ornogo. I'm talking church universal. Apostles' Creed type church. Big church. Broad church. Not just local church. We want to say, it's this society, you know. It's those stupid red cups at Starbucks. We want to make up all this junk garbage. It doesn't even make sense to blame why we struggle spiritually as a, as a church. Well, the media, that's the reason why the church struggles today. We want to blame outside force after outside force after outside force. And the truth of the matter is, we're much like the Israelites. I'm much like the Israelites. If you want to really understand my story, it's not the outside forces. It's my own heart. And man, we find out sometimes just like the church, universal, not CCO, and I don't want to get mad at me. Sometimes it's the problem of the church is not all the outside forces. Sometimes our own problems inside. It's the fact that the members, our own hearts, deceive us and are infighting. And again, I don't mean CCO, but the way that Baptists can't get along with Presbyterians. Presbyterians can't get along with Lutherans. Lutherans don't like Methodists. And Methodists don't like, you know, Christian church because their views on Baptists. Blah, blah, blah. It's good grief. It sounds a lot like the Danites and the Benjamites and the, you get it? And the tribe of Judah. And all of a sudden we see all these different banners and tribes that we align ourselves with in terms of titles of churches. We fight and we bicker just like tribes of Israel. Making sense just a little bit? And I think that's where we're saying that, man, sometimes it's our own hearts that are corrupt. And, and right now you're going to find out, you know, it, it was interesting. I want to be careful how, how far I go down this road. It's interesting that in this text we're going to, we're going to find they war within themselves, forgetting who the true enemy is. And, uh, man, I grew up in a culture that, uh, that early on, and that's not the way this church is now, but early on I felt like if you didn't go to my church, you're going to hell. That this was the only church that was right. And, you know, if you went to the Church of Christ, you know, if you didn't go to the Church of Christ, you went to church played instruments, you're in trouble. Or if you went to the Baptist church, even for, to visit on youth group, people are like, well, what are you doing going to that Baptist church? You know, if you went, I mean, good night. I just look at some of the crazy stuff we've held on to, and you know what the interesting thing is? The more we find a cultural oppression, the more we find persecution, I find myself and my heart going out to Coptic Christians in Egypt being slaughtered for their faith and going, wow, it's interesting how the more that persecution arises, the more I start considering people that I used to thought were very different, now I start considering them friends. Does that make sense? It's not to say that doctrine doesn't matter. It's not to say that there's not value in the tribe in terms of how we view doctrine. But I, I think there's a great lesson here about when our own hearts are corrupt and all of a sudden we start fighting the wrong people here. We start fighting our fellow tribe down the road as if, as if there's something wrong with them. Is this making sense at all? Hopefully this is resonating. I want you to kind of have that lens and I want you to think church uh, as we go through these next chapters. So here we go. We got to book it, man. We got three chapters tonight and I don't think I can do it. Now, now in those days, Israel had no king. All you know, how many times you heard that phrase? Like nine times now? You heard it. You know it. And you know that anytime you hear that, bad things are coming. Uh, I want to unpack that phrase real quick. I think the writer is trying to set up this, you know, this, you know, empire coming through David. This, this, uh, this kingship that's going to be through David. As if somehow all of the corrupt stuff could somehow be blamed on the fact that there wasn't a central leader. But here's what we know. And what Samuel didn't know, and I'm assuming Samuel wrote this, is that, man, you want to go through, just as soon as David dies, the king before David is corrupt, David is corrupt and leads Israel astray. David's a result with he and Absalom of a divided kingdom. And then Solomon, his own son, is an absolute train wreck. And every king after that, minus Josiah, and Josiah's not even a good dad, king after king after king after king, all it says throughout the Old Testament, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
that the writer here, you're going to quickly learn that a human is never going to be your answer to a, to a broken, corrupt, immoral heart. Only Jesus can fix that. But we'll move on. It says, In those days Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in the remote hill country in the area of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. All right, couple things. We just met a Levite. I don't know if you remember from last week. Remember the Levite we met last week? Micah. This guy comes wandering through town. He's a Levite in the wrong area. It's interesting that the Levites here have no leadership. And again, this Levite is someplace he shouldn't be. And, and I don't have time to get into all the details on it. But the fact that he took a concubine from Bethlehem and Judah is absolutely empirically, biblically wrong. He, as a Levite, could not have done that. Sometimes we sit back and we think, well, you know, how do we handle this issue? You know, polygamy. It's very simple. God clearly states it's a man and a woman, one husband, one wife. And every single time without fail, even in Abraham's life, every time you see polygamy, train wreck, it never ends well. Not in one single instance. Look at David's life, for crying out loud. Look at every time that somebody wants to bring in this multiple thing. Every time it's a train wreck. And right now in this Levite's life, absolute train wreck. Polygamy was never, ever, not once enforced biblically as a mandate that, that God approved of. Never approved of that. And uh, we go to specific texts. We don't have time to unpack all that tonight. That's not a biblical precedent of, of being okay. Uh, God did not want that. They did it. They did it. And it happened. Abraham, and man, look at the mess we've got today based off of what Abraham did in terms of taking a concubine. Uh, it, that was not God's plan. And especially for a Levite, man. As a, for a Levite to do this is just like, are you kidding me? He's in the wrong countries, wrong territory, and he's got, now you're going to find out he's taking a concubine, and for a Levite to do that, his heart's supposed to be set apart. It's supposed to be holy. I'm just telling you, if you were to read this later on, you would go, oh my word, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. It would be the equivalent of finding out that, that Mark had a mistress. You'd be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Or the preacher downtown had a, you know, had, a, had a wife and a girlfriend. You're like, you can't do that. That'd be shocking, wouldn't it, even in our culture? It'd be a shocking attribute. This is shocking for this Levite to do this. Moving on. Look at it. I'll camp out on that too long. It says, But she was unfaithful to him, and she left him, and went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, in Judah. <sighs> right now, <clears throat> we all have a propensity for what? Tell me what you're feeling. When I say the word she was unfaithful to him, just, just go there. What are you feeling? Come on, we say it. We live in a culture. Huh? Anger. What do we think about her? Huh? Yeah, she had an affair. She's a bad woman. Um, I want to let you know that this relationship and this is so utter complex. Some translations, let's see if anybody here has a translation that doesn't do uh, like unfaithful, but you use the word uh, she was angry with him. Anybody have that? You've got that over there. Can you read it out of your text? What, what is it a revised standard you're reading from? New Living. New Living. What does your say? Yeah. Okay, there is some discussion and debate about what that Hebrew word meant. Whether it was she was unfaithful until she had an affair or she was angry with him. I, I land typically that it was an affair. You know, that she was, you know, she cheated on. What do you have in the ears? Um, this is New American Standard, but his concubine played the harlot. Yeah, played the harlot. So there's, there's some discussion and debate about what that Hebrew word means. I tend to go with the text that she had an affair, she cheated on him. Uh, why do you think she would go back to her dad's house because she cheated on him? Use your Old Testament knowledge. Why would she do it? She'd be killed. Yeah, she's going to get stoned, man. She'd be slaughtered for doing that. You know, you can't cheat. You just can't. Doesn't say anything about it. Well, keep moving on. 
says, But she was unfaithful to him, and she went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judah. Uh, after you've been there, it's, I'd like to draw Bethlehem back to Micah's story, but we don't have time. Uh, draw those connections in your own mind. Uh, after she had been there four months, four months, mind you, it said uh, uh, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. Uh, I did some research today, and I don't often find that. There's a guy named Josephus. He's a, a, a Jewish historian. He writes this. I, th- I found it really interesting. Because he would give, uh, there's a lot of parallel things that Josephus writes that's happening in Israel at the same time, and he gives a commentary on it. He says, A Levite uh, was very fond of his wife uh, and overcome with her beauty. But he was unhappy, uh, but he was unhappy in this, that it did not, uh, that it did not meet the like return of affection from her. Uh, for she was averse to him. Uh, what did more inflame his passion for her? Oh, let me back up. Let me read that again. I messed it up. Now, he the Levite was very fond of his wife and overcome with her beauty, but he was unhappy in this, that he did not meet with a like return affection from her, for she was averse to him, which did more to inflame his passion for her. So they quarreled with one another perpetually. At At last, the woman was so disgusted at these quarrels, she left her husband and went to her parents in the fourth month. Um... I don't know all of it, but I love the picture of this Levite probably having maybe a wife at some point, and he becomes so preoccupied with this beautiful woman that she becomes his mistress. And, you know, he takes her as his concubine, as his possession, you know, and he wants, like Samson, this is a guy preoccupied with sexual advance. He's preoccupied with sexual advance, is the way that Josephus would put it. And he's trying to push himself on her. He's trying to take her for his own. And she's rebuffing him. And, uh, and I don't know if she has the affair. I don't know what happens. But she bails. She's there four months before this guy responds. Let's get back into the text here. It says, uh, after she'd been there four months, uh, her husband, remember that word. Don't forget the word husband. That's going to be important here a little bit. And I want somebody here to catch it. And to hold me in check and go, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. So when you find that word change from husband, everybody, somebody call it out and go, stop. It's going to be a big deal here in a little bit. Uh, and I, again, this is one of those, those little rabbit trails I get geeked out over. Okay, So here we go. It says, uh, her husband went to persuade her to return. Uh, he had with him his servant and two donkeys. Another thing. Get geeked out about that. Don't forget the servant. So right now, I need you to do your best to walk up to the movie theater ticket, ticket booth and buy a ticket to this movie. Okay? Title it whatever you want. But I need you to buy the ticket. I want you to go buy yourself a pack of popcorn while you're sitting here. Get your favorite drink. I'm getting some hot tamales. We're all going to go to theater. We're going to watch this thing unpack. You've got to use your imagination right now. So, picture the players. Cheating mistress. Concubine. Okay? It's interesting that he uses the word husband. That's going to play in here a little bit. Um, it's because, biblically, he's having sex with her. So, God's going to go, yeah, you guys are you're married in my eyes now. Beyond that, you're going to find things like, tell me the other players who are present. Who have you heard so far? Servant, two donkeys, her father. Let's keep rolling. The other thing I want you to notice in the text, no one's name is ever mentioned. Lots of other times there's names mentioned. Names are popping out. It would be Jephthah or Gideon or Samson or Delilah, you know, Manoah. No names here. He stays real general. And I think he's trying to say, like, this story represents the people of Israel. It's a true story, but... Man, this could have been anybody. This is the way it rolled in Israel. He goes on, he says, uh, um, His father-in-law, the girl's father... Oh, 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 I missed a part. She took him to the father's house. When her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. 
Keep that in mind. Let's talk about that here in a second, but I want to read. Keep in mind, gladly welcomed him and where we're going to walk. Watch this guy's response. Um, His father-in-law, the girl's father, prevailed upon them to say, so he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. Okay, tell me when you hear the, the, the girl mentioned. On the fourth day, they got up early and prepared to leave. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh yourself with something to eat. Then you can go. So the two of them, you watching it? The two of them sat down to eat and drink together. Afterward, the girl's father said, Please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. Uh, and when the man got up to go, his father-in-law persuaded him. So he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth night, he, when he rose to go, the girl's father said, Refresh yourself. Wait till afternoon. So the two of them ate together. Um, then when the man with his concubine and servant got up to leave, his father-in-law said, the girl's father said, Now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here. The day is nearly over. Stay and enjoy yourself. Early tomorrow morning, you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jabez. Remember we talked about Jabez. That is Jerusalem. We'll talk about that again in a second. With his two saddle donkeys and his concubine. All right. few things. Why is this guy welcoming this, this guy gladly? Why is he welcoming gladly? Okay, maybe he's going to take his daughter off his hands. Okay? That might be part of it. Why else? Huh? She could be killed. It may be this kind of thing like, hey man, if you're willing to take her back and not stone her, uh, I'm going to treat you with extreme hospitality. You know, it's interesting. Oh man, what was that book? Man, there was a fantastic book. Uh, And I'm going to say fantastic. You guys are adults, I'll just tell you flat out. It, it, it's a, a novel that came out a few years ago. It's got vulgarity in it. Uh, it talks about a Navy SEAL that's in Afghanistan, and uh, he goes into an Afghani village uh, after a bunch of the... Oh, what is it? Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. I think that's one. You guys, anybody read Lone Survivor? Okay. And they take him in, and that turned out hospitality. Remember the whole thing where they feel obligated now? The hospitality is a massive issue. A massive issue. If somebody came and just knocked on your door and wanted to stay, you know, you can imagine if... if uh, if, if as a dad, you got a son-in-law that's likely to kill your daughter, the odds of you asking to, to eat with you and spend five days in your house is probably not likely. Okay, I'm probably as a dad going to kill this guy and his servant. I'm just telling you, I'm going to kill them both. going to put their bodies someplace they're never going to be found and take care of my little girl. You know, um, But this is not a culture where women are protected. It's just not. Uh, it's a, a very violent, vile culture. Uh, but part of it is I think this guy knows this guy could kill my girl. He could kill my daughter. And maybe he's being protective. I don't know. But I want you to notice something. He takes a concubine. All the interaction. It, it's a business transaction, man. There's no, there's no consent on her part. There's no seeking how she feels about this matter. There's nothing in the text that leads you to think that either this guy or the dad give a rip about this girl. I mean, it is a culture where women are completely overlooked. She's property She's a transaction, and it's taking place right now. And uh, it, it is a sad testament to where Israel is. Uh, it breaks my heart for this girl. I can't imagine every day, and you're going to see why here in a second, I think this guy is a horrific human being. This Levite is a horrible man. And we'll, we'll, you'll see why I think that here in a second. I can't imagine the oppression she lived under with him. I can't imagine... She took her life in her own hands when she chose to flee. She knew she could be stoned, and she'd rather die than stay with him. She'd rather die. I mean, she'd rather she'd take the risk of dying. She, she's like, I'm, I, I don't want to be with him. 
And so for four months, she thinks she's safe. For four months, she thinks she's made it. And then who shows up at the door? This jerk. And he just literally just basically takes her from her own home. And her dad doesn't do anything to stop it. Let's keep going. Um, Okay, Jabus. That's an important text. Um, Jabus represents Jerusalem. And that's the story. You guys remember the story I told you about about, uh, David and Goliath and Jabus and all that? You guys are all... Remember that? It's not their town. This is, this is the, what will eventually be the city of David. I mean, this is right in the heart of it all, man. This is a city they should be dominating, a city they should own, and they don't. Uh, they, they, yeah, they don't get control of it. It says, When they were near Jab- Jabus and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, Come, let's stop at this city, the Jebusites, and spend the night. His master replied, No, we will not go into an alien city whose people are not Israelites. We'll go on to Gibeah. Uh, Gibeah is an important city. We've talked about this stuff. We'll unpack it again before we get done tonight. He added, come on, let's try to reach Gibeah of Ramah uh, and spend the night in one of those places. So they went on, um, and uh, the sun set near Gibeah in Benjamin, uh, and there they stopped to spend the night. Uh, and when they sat in the city square, no one took them into his home for the night. Again, if you go back to that, that Lone Survivor book, and again, I'm not recommending anybody to go, it's a fantastic read, but you just need to be prepared for coarse language and all kinds of other stuff. But it really is, especially on Veterans Day. It's a great read. Um, but again, in, that cult, in, a, in a Middle Eastern culture, to not take somebody in at night would have been an affront. I mean, it would have just been, you, you can't even fathom that. In our culture, just, we just don't, that, that scripture just doesn't jump out at us. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Didn't take them in. You know, people drive through Joplin all the time. We're not all over in our houses. That's why we got motels. Stay there. This isn't a motel culture. Like, there's nothing more disrespectful than to have a fellow Israelite, and man, you would have thrown your house open. You would have pulled them in, and you know. And he, my dad talks about when he was a when he was a kid, they'd jump in the car for Sunday afternoon, and they would drive to all their, their family's house, and they'd all visit one another. He's like, that's just what everybody did. They just jumped in the car, and you went to these people's houses, and you didn't call ahead. You know, you just showed up. And I'm like, man, if you did that today, and you showed up at somebody's house on a Sunday afternoon, they'd be kind of like, you'd meet about the door, and you'd stand there, you'd open it up. If you knew them really well, you might say, come on in. But within about five minutes of them being there, what are you thinking? Come on, just admit it. Huh? Why are you here? You need something? You know, what's going on? You're like, you're wondering. And now it's like, well, you know, in our culture, you need to set an appointment. You need to plan it in a few weeks in advance. You need to figure out, do I need to bring anything? It's just, we just have a hard time wrapping our minds around how, how utterly shocking those phrases would have been. They just don't captivate us. But if you're, if you're an Israelite and you're reading this, it's shame. It's just shame. You're like, are you kidding me? A Levite came through and no one would take him in? You don't treat a Levite. We don't treat anybody in Israel that way, let alone a Levite. You can't turn away a Levite for crying out loud, and they do. Um, get ready for your movie. Here we go. It's picking up steam now. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gibeah, uh, didn't even say that. I don't even think it ever, in the text, I just noticed this. Somebody watch. I don't know if it ever says this guy's even an Israelite. That's interesting. I don't know if it does. I just I never thought of that till just now. Um, an old man from the hill country Ephraim who was living in the Gibeah, uh, the men of the place were Benjamites, came in from his work in the fields, and when he looked, he saw the travel in the city square. The old man asked, Where are you going and where did you come from? He answered, We're on our way from Bethlehem uh, in Judah to a remote area in the hill country Ephraim where I live. Uh, I've been to Bethlehem in Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. Uh, no one has ever, uh, and no one has taken me into his house. 
We've got straw and, and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants, me, your maidservant, and the young man. Uh, we don't need anything. And he says, well, you're welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. And here we go. This is where uh, I love a good scary movie. I know, not the demonic evil ones, but if it's a movie that like just scares me, I just think that's fun. This is the moment where this old man, like, you've got to have the right horror music, music kick in. We talked about this last time we looked at this text. This is where it's like, you know, this next line, you need to like, all of a sudden the electricity drops in the building, this whole room goes dark, and you start hearing strange noises. It's the equivalent of that when he makes this comment. Uh, I just lost my spot. Where is it? 20, thank you. He says, you're welcome to spend my house on my spot. Only don't spend the night in the square. That, that line right there is like, wow. It's like all those scary babysitter type movies where they're like, you know, don't answer the phone. You know, don't go into the basement. You know, don't get into the, you know, don't approach the guy with a chainsaw. Whatever it is, you know. This is that moment, this old man, don't spend the, you know. You need to get, let your imagination just go crazy and literally picture this guy, one eye, you know, patch, you know. <laughs> He's like, don't go away. Don't spend the night in the square. I don't know what your imagination does, but go there. I mean, you should have goosebumps when you hear that. Because it's, I mean, literally, the sun is setting. You know, it's getting a little bit of a chill. You're up in the hill country. You know, the chill's setting in from, you know, up in the hills. You know, you're just thinking, well, I guess we're going to sleep out here on the ground. You know, they're kind of sitting in this little area. And uh, people are closing up shop. They're kind of looking at them as they walk by. Everybody's closing things up. You know, some people are looking at them out of their fear. Other people are kind of looking at them with kind of this evil eye. And, uh, you know, kind of like zombies, you know, picking up bait right now. They're kind of like, ah, here we go. And these people are kind of settling in for the night. You know, they got their straw. they got their fodder. They're kind of feeding the donkeys. They're starting to get the bread and wine out. And this old man walks up and he's like, no, 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 no. You cannot stay here. You can't stay here. Let's keep going. He says, so he took them into his house and fed the donkeys. And after they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. And while they were enjoying themselves, some, that's another important thing, some of, don't forget that. I keep telling all this stuff not to forget. I'm probably going to forget to unpack all this. Some of is a big deal later on in chapter 21. Some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. What? What in the world? You don't put this kind of stuff in the Bible. You can't do flannel graph on this with little kids. I mean, why is this? This should not be in here. This is nasty stuff. This is just crazy stuff. This is like something that you would hear in the nightly news. I mean, we tell kids like, you know, read your Bible before you go to bed at night. It's a good habit. Don't read this. I'm like, I want my little girl reading the Bible at night before she goes to bed. She's like, Daddy, I read this. Stay away from this one. This is like scary stuff, man. I'm like, I'm going to look at Jesus and go, did that have to be in there? And it does have to be in there. It sets a story. But, I mean, they're pounding on the door because they want to rape this guy. And it's interesting they say the man, they don't even mention the servant that's with him. They want the Levite. They want to rape him. You got guys just beating on the door to rape this guy. Let that settle. Don't fly past it. Don't, you know, put rubbing alcohol on it. Try to sterilize this moment. We've read, you know, the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we talk about, oh, Sodom, Sodom, Sodom. 
he, these are Israelites doing this junk. These are Israelites doing this garbage. And they're beating on the door, screaming at you. I want you to imagine in a moment, let the movie play out. Put yourself in that house. You're laughing a little bit. It says they're enjoying themselves. You know, I don't want to plant Uno. I don't know what they're doing, but they're, they're hanging out and swapping stories and things are great. And all of a sudden they start hearing this commotion gathering. They're like, what in the world? And then literally the pounding on the door is so violent. The old man jumps up. What's going on? We want the Levite. We want to, you know, we want to rape him. Is what they're saying. How did they know he was there? Saw him the square. Yeah, if he hadn't gone with the old man, it it'd been done. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's why the old man took him into the house. He knew it was going to happen to him. You know why? Because <clears throat> the old man knew. How do you think the old man knew? Because this wasn't the first time it happened. Yeah, this isn't the first time this town's done this. He has no idea. I mean, they're literally walking into a trap and they don't know it. And it's set. It's literally, I mean, they, you might as well just draw out the nooses and put them in the gallows. They got no idea what they've walked into and they are dead meat, man. Keep moving on. It gets worse. If you've never read it, sorry. It says, the owner of the house went outside and said to them, that's interesting they don't grab him. I find that interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting to me. He goes out. He can somehow reason with them. And here's his reason. No, my friends, don't be so vile. All right, that's good. Keep going. Since this man is my guest, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I'm not, I mean, we brought this up last time. I know it's not godly, and I know it's not holy, and I know that I can be held to account. But I got a nice appropriately sized short shotgun 12 gauge that sits next to my bed and you come after my 11 year old daughter it'll be the last thing you ever come after i'm just telling you and i know that i'll be in trouble for it i'm on a podcast but if you try to take my daughter and you want to rape her i'm like i'm like who is this guy how can you do this like fight grab something defend them defend their honor defend their lives you just sacrifice them. He says, you can have my virgin daughter and his, camp, and his concubine. I'm like, first of all, I'm wondering, how has he protected his daughter this long? Because she's a virgin daughter. I'm like, how have you protected her this long? Surely you get some leverage in this town. You protected her. I don't know, man. Why does he feel that he needs to protect this guy? Yeah, I don't know. That he sacrificed his own daughter for him. Yeah. He doesn't even know him, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's a whole hospitality guest thing, but they don't sacrifice a concubine because there's just no dignity for women. Yeah, they just didn't count. It's it's it is utterly horrific. Yeah, here you go. Yeah, it's it's get ready to change big time. Keep that in mind. It's get ready to change. You're right. No, go ahead. Yeah, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, with Lot. It's the exact similar story, but at that time, it's, it's among people who we know are pagan. You know, that was a story we talked about how Lot lived, you know, outside of Sodom, near Sodom. He moved in Sodom. He moved into the city. Well, the rest of that story, if you don't remember that, is these two angels come into Sodom. They go into, you know, Lot's house, and men start banging on the door, and the angels at that time open the door and go, and they all just go blind. 
You know, they go blind to that moment. This text doesn't play out that way. Let's keep reading. So the men would not listen. So the man... Who is the man? Yeah, I think you're right on that. The Levite? Yeah. The man, the man took his concubine. The man took his concubine and sent her outside to them. Stop for a second. And I, Listen, in this room, I don't know everyone's history. And, and I, I know that there may be stories that, that this rape strikes way too close to home, and that is not my intent. I give you my, it's not my heart or my intent. But I want to bring Scripture to life. I need you to understand how hard she probably fought to stop this moment. I can't imagine what this jerk did when he said he sent her outside. It's not that, folks. It's not like she just went willingly. She knows what's about to happen to her. And it's worse than a stoning. At this point in her life, she probably goes, I wish he'd just stone me. I wish he'd just kill me. Because what is about to happen to this girl is unconscionable. And these are Israelites doing this junk. It says, uh, they raped her and abused her. I find it interesting that they draw distinction in that. It's interesting they draw distinction. Throughout the night and at dawn, they let her go. What time does he go to the old man's house? Dusk. Dusk. What time do they let her go? Dawn. This is a miserable... I can't find a word in the English language to captivate the horror this girl went through. There's no word in the English language we have to captivate that horror. And then we look at this and we say, God, why is this in here? I think God wants us to see that whatever you need to tolerate, you eventually come to accept. I think God wants us to see the utter horror of what sin is. I think God wants us to see this is how bad it gets, folks. When a heart is corrupt and a people are corrupt and they don't align with me, this is what happens. He says, at daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. Did you see it? What did you see? Her master? Yeah, it just changed. Just changed. It's no longer referred to as even his concubine. Started off as her husband, then she became his concubine, and now she's just become property. Yeah, slave. So now, I, this is, these are those moments where, I, 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 as a guy who loves the Word of God, these are the moments where you just get into the Scripture and you're like, oh, whoa, what great writing. What great craftsmanship in the midst of a tragic story. Because there's so many layers to the story. Do you see a man? Just layer after layer after layer about the abuse done to her, about the shift in his own heart that the writer unpacks. I just think the Bible as a, let me disconnect from the story for just a second. As a literary, just it's just beautiful and complex. And what the writer does, going from concubine to husband to concubine to master, I, I think it's utterly brilliant. It's just a brilliant, a brilliant writing. Um, he says, daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. I wonder if he heard her. I wonder when she falls down at the door. I mean, she gets that far. I don't know if she pounds on the door. 
I don't know, she hits the door. I don't know. Um, I, I just wonder. There's a part of this that really creeps me out coming up here in a second. When her master got up in the morning, he opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way. Do you feel it? Yeah, he's just leaving. Yeah, it's just callous. It's like he doesn't even talk about his concern for her. He's just kind of, what we do at a hotel room? Zip the suitcase shut. I didn't think he's ever going to, they even say he's looking for her. He's just going to go on his way. He's just going to Yeah, he, he literally does that here in a second. Literally does that. He says, uh, he stepped out to carry on his way, and there lay his concubine following in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. I didn't go in through and study the Hebrew of that word threshold. I wish I would have. But I find it interesting. Where's the threshold? When I think threshold, maybe it's different. I don't, I don't know enough about, he, about a house, an ancient Hebrew house, but my mind's been captivated by that. Uh, when I think threshold, what do you usually think of? What do you think threshold? Yeah, the door stop, like the area underneath the door. And in my mind, I literally almost picture her fingers underneath the door, just holding on, hoping that no one will come take her again. And my, I almost start crying in my office when I read that, uh, just because my heart broke. <sighs> I'm going to do this now. My heart broke for her. I just thought, man, this is, this is horrible, man. I picture walk up, hit the door, trying to get in, and she literally, and again, I, I'm using my imagination here. I need to study the word threshold. You know, I need to understand what it would have been like. But I just look at her, just putting her hands, just trying to hold on, digging her claws in. Yeah, yeah. Or she got there. Yeah, I don't know. Or I wonder, she gets there at daybreak, and maybe she beats on the door while he packs his suitcase, and finally she just collapses. And I wonder how long she's at the door. And how, like, I wonder, how long do you know? Can you see her fingers down there? Can you see the shadow from the sun coming up? I don't, I don't know. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm playing the movie out in my own mind. I start wondering those kinds of things as I imagine it. And part of, for me, that's what brings Scripture to life. I'm like, did you know she was there? And I'm looking at it going, dude, Send your servant out. I don't know. Send yourself out. You know, I, I could look at this going, somebody came to do this to my wife. Take me. Take me. Don't leave her. I'd never send my daughter out there. I'm, I'll go out there and I'll shut the door and say, if this is going to happen, I'm going to fight you to the everything I've got. I'm going to unload till the last shell is gone. But just whatever you're going to do, do it to me and not to them. Take my life. Take me. Do whatever you're going to do, but don't hurt them. And I'm like, this is the most cowardly, sick, demented man I've ever met in my life. He is a sick human being, and it does nothing but, again, it's going to get worse. We think it's bad. It's about to even get, I don't know if it's going to get worse, but it's a, it's a gross story. All right, here we go. Um, he said to her, get up, let's go. Can you hear the callousness? She's been abused all night. She's been raped. She's probably not even clothed anymore. I would imagine she's laying there probably completely nude, dirty, defiled, beat up, and bloody. She's just all night, and all he can say is, get up, let's go. I just want to, I want to throat punch him is what I want to do. I'm going to do, I just can't. I hate this guy right now. And I know that's not, I don't mean that literally. I'm just angry at him. I'm angry at how, how horrible of a human being he is at this point. Um, and I know I let my emotions get the best of me when I read the text as well. So I feel your righteous indignation. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. You know, you think, oh man, he's got a soft heart now. You know, he's gonna, he's gonna rescue her. And I'm like, no, nah, he's not. 
He's not rescuing. He's got he's to get off the guy's doorstep. He can't just leave her laying in town. So he throws her up on a donkey. And what he does next, again, is horrible. When he reached home, he took a knife and he cut up his concubine. Again, can you imagine? I know all Scripture is profitable, but not all Scripture needs to be taught to children. I'm believing that right now. He cut up his concubine limb by limb. All right, let's back up for a second. In our culture, the desecration of corpse is a criminal offense. We look at a corpse to be treated with respect. I would say in our culture, it would not even match the way that, that a culture back here would have treated a corpse. Like I know I've heard stories, I was, I was hearing a story, uh, and I've, I've not been old enough for this, but uh, I was listening to a recording, I can't remember, my great-grandfather or great-grandmother, I've forgotten, but they were cal- they, you know, casually, not callously, casually telling a story about a death in a family and how they would bring the body into the house, it was there for two or three days, so family members could come and visit, and, and then you know, eventually the body was taken and buried, and I was like, wow, it just, the honor paid in that death w- was beautiful. Um, you know, it's just, it's just we don't do it that way anymore. We're, we're very disconnected from death now. That as soon as the death happens, we move the body as quickly as we can to a funeral home. We only see the body when it's been cleaned up. You know, there's just, it's just a different world we live in now. But in this day and age, you would have shown to do this to a body would have been the utmost level of disrespect. I mean, oh, people, you're going to find out they're horrified by this. We'd be horrified in our day and age if all of a sudden 12 states got a body part. I mean, can you imagine what would happen? FBI is involved, all these different you know, jurisdictions, hitting the nightly news, everybody's freaking out. You know, if every county courthouse, you know, every state capital received a, a body part. He hacks this girl up with a knife into 12 parts. And uh, good night. This is like, this is in the Bible, for crying out loud. Some of you guys are probably had never, how many have never read... Until, we, until you came into Judges, you'd never read this text or dove into this text. Okay? It's just crazy. Let's keep moving. Um, what time am I at? I better watch my time. Oh, man, i got to hurry. Uh, we still got two chapters to go through. Good night. I get so caught up in this one. Um, it says, everyone who saw it said, oh, wait, wait. It says, uh, he cut it from limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. Um, you find this moment where they're being united. The Israelites from Dan to Beersheba and from the land of Gilead came out as one man. Excuse me, one man. Yes. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you think that since you said that like before, like when if she had cheated on him and stuff like that, and that she would have been stoned and that's why she went home, do you think that he might have known going to stay in that town, maybe he heard through like rumor of town of what they did to people that came through, and maybe that was his, his like, demonic punishment. I don't know. You know I don't know. He, because if maybe he heard about it, and then he was like, he went to stay there, knowing he was going to stay in the city. Yeah. I never thought of that angle. That angle's never... He put his own life at risk if he did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's the angle he's going to play, he was playing with fire. I mean, uh, he but yeah. didn't love her, so it's not... No, like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't love her. Back, so. She's property, and I think, I think, literally, I think she's nothing but a sex toy to him. Well, you would have had a wife, 
it, it would be very equivalent today to, to um, there was some breakdown in this, but, but similar to having a wife and a mistress. So I'd ask you this question. What's the difference between a wife and a mistress? There's a pretty big, your wife, everyone's wife knows the difference on that. There's a big difference. Um, you know, a lot of times what would happen is uh, you would, you know, you and your wife would have more work that you need to get done and you would, you would bring in this, this housemaid or this house servant and the next thing you know, the husband would start sleeping with her and all of a sudden she would become a concubine, that she would become a sexual outlet. Uh, and, and that would be one way you could explain it. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's basically... Say it's his mistress, or you know, be, yeah. I think there's a context. To me, when I hear concubine, it implies I imply automatically that he was married. Okay. That's my. That would be what I would imply. Uh, and maybe I'm taking the implication too wrong. Somebody may listen to this and go, "Actually, that's not true." But I've been wrong before. Um, all right, let's get into this. It says uh, the uh, the leaders of Israel. Um, of all, the leaders of all the people of the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly of the people of God. 400,000 soldiers armed with swords. Watch this. The writer, he does something interesting here that I, that I find fascinating. Never is one judge able to do that. This Levite uses, you know, a Howard Stern shock jock ta- you know, tactic to bring everyone together. And it's interesting that they can't find that kind of alliance to defeat an enemy, but they're about to find that kind of alliance to, to go to war with one another. And I, I think that's, that's fascinating to me. And I think there are definite church implications of how we can all rally to harm one another, but sometimes when it comes to fighting a common enemy, uh, we, we, we tend to like, well, man, good luck with that prayer time. And, you know, that'd be awesome. Hope, hope the prayer time goes good. Um, but, man, you know, I guess my correlation with that would be in a, in a, in a small church somewhere, you know, you couldn't get hardly anybody to show up for, for a prayer meeting. But if there was a church meeting to talk about the problems in the church, people would turn out in droves. And it's amazing how sometimes we will unite to, to attack one another, but we won't unite to attack a common enemy. And here, 400,000 people unite around. Yeah, you'll see what they do here in a second. It says, uh, the Benjamites heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. Then the Israelites said, tell us how this awful thing happened. So the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman... Here's another thing that's interesting. You find it? Okay. And watch, watch his spin. Some commentators have said this. I, I'm afraid to even broach this, but it's going to add another angle. She makes it to the doorway. He says, get up, let's go. She doesn't answer him. When did the text ever say she was dead? Yeah. Text never says she's dead. In fact, if you go back, we can look at that. Um, where's it at? Let's find the exact area. It says, get up, let's go. There's no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set up for home. It never says she's dead. What does he do? Yeah. I, I cannot prove this. We're just diving into the text, trying to bring it to life. He hasn't cut her up yet. He's just throwing her on the donkey. The murdered woman, there's a good chance of who murdered her. The Levite. Good chance he's the one doing the murdering. He is responsible. responsible. Absolutely, he's responsible. He's the one that sent her out. But I saw some commentators say, if you look closely, she may have been alive when he started hacking her into 12 pieces. You know, because man, at that day and age, I don't want this woman anymore. She's been defiled. She's been all this. I don't know, man. I'm telling you, I don't know that. 
But when I look at it, you read through the text, it, I don't think the text ever says she's dead when he throws her on that donkey. It doesn't. In fact, the text gives every implication that she was still alive with her hands on the threshold. She makes it to the doorway. She gets there at daylight. He gets up in the morning to leave. There's no implication she's dead. We all want to think she's dead because it makes hacking her up a whole lot easier, a whole more palatable, you know, as if we are somehow parting out a deer carcass. We can somehow deal with that because, you know, she's dead now. I don't know that she is. I don't know if she is. And I had never, that had never crossed my mind until I saw some commentators allude to that. I was like, ugh. Took a whole new level of sick in my mind when I thought, is there a chance this guy cut her up alive? I don't know. It's just... Did he not even know huh? she was alive? Yeah, he may not have. Or he, he may have very well... Yeah. Well, you think he sent the body parts to rally people to go Oh, I think so. I think he's doing a rally cry. I think he's making a point. Let's keep going. This is, as gross as it is, it's a fascinating text. You've got to admit that. It's full of like twists and turns and curveballs. Um, moving on. So, so the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman. Oh, now he's going to play the part of victim now. Yeah. Watch what he does here. He says, I and my concubine came to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house intended to kill me. Did you see it? What he just did. What did he just do? Yeah, it was to have sex with him. But there's another phrase, and it's small, but it's big. I'm going to read it again. Now, you're close. You guys are right there. He says, uh, there's a phrase I said, don't forget that phrase. He says, I and my concubine came to Gibeah. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house intending to kill me. Ah, Dead on. He implicates the entire town. It wasn't. It was some of the men. And that's going to be a big deal here in a second when they go looking for justice. Watch what they're about to do off this guy's testimony. He implicates the entire town. And it's clear. The text says some of the men. And I want to tell you, man, these are one of those moments in Scripture. Watch those nuances. Catch them. Read into them. Dig into them. There's a difference. Some of the men is not what he's saying. He's saying they wanted to kill me. No, they didn't want to kill you. They wanted to rape you. Let's call it for what it is. He says all the men. No, it wasn't all the men. It was some of the men. Don't blame everybody. It wasn't the whole town. In, in his implication, they, they, they took my wife, my concubine. No, 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 she's a piece of property to you. She's a property to you. You gave her up. Here we go. He says, uh, During the night, the men of the Gibeah came out, they surrounded my house, intended to kill me. They raped my concubine, and she died. He never says anything about the fact that he sent her out. I don't think every Israelite would have been like, What? You sent her out? I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have. He says, uh, They raped my concubine, and she died. Hmm. <laughs> maybe or maybe you killed her maybe you cut her up into 12 pieces and shipped her out all over Israel he says I took my concubine I cut her into pieces and sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd and disgraceful act in Israel now all you Israelites speak and give your verdict <laughs> yeah that's kind of how we're feeling right now well we're going to kill you um, he says all the people rose as one man saying none of us will go home no, not one of us will return to his house. This is, and I want to be careful because I'm not trying to incite drama. This is full-on mob mentality now. Full-on mob mentality. Fascinating article by, uh, Mal- I think it was by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, man, Jesus, help me with that article. The, the article is talking about uh, school shootings. 
Anybody read the article in School Shootings by Malcolm Gladwell that came out? I don't know when it came out. I just read it recently. Uh, a friend of mine posted it on Facebook. Fantastic read. But he goes into this whole thing uh, about school shootings and why they're happening. And I can't, man, I give my life. To, I wouldn't give my life. I would love to remember the phrase that he uses. Uh, it's an interesting angle he, he puts on that. Man, what is an article? He's got an interesting angle talking about how, um, you know, he, he doesn't just jump to, well, it's prescription drugs. He doesn't jump to, you know, it's just video game violence. One of the things he goes to is he talks about how do people who would never do that end up doing it? You know, how do you get, you know, you know a guy that would, you know, never steal and bezel millions of dollars? What, what is it that takes somebody down that road? And he talks about that, that what if we as human beings had this, this varying degree of, of what it takes to get us to jump involved in something that we would never do. Because you know you that moment where you're like, man, that's completely out of their character. I can't believe they did that. You know, you've had that thought about people before. What is it in a mob mentality that all of a sudden people will start stealing and taking and destroying? What, what happens? Because when you see people get caught up in that, you're like, I they're like, it is literally, they use phrase like, I got caught up. Well, there's always that first initiator. And what Gladwell talks about is he says, I, I'm going to really screw up Gladwell's writing because he, he nails this and I'm going to butcher it. But in my layman's terms, what he says is that maybe your tipping point is plus one or, or maybe it's plus two. So while you would never do it, if one other person does it, you need a plus one and now you'll jump into it. Think about yourself in high school. You know, somebody wants to go do something, you're like, no, I'd never do that. And then you get that one friend and like, man, let's do it. You're like, all right, let's do it. Or maybe for you, it's a plus two. Maybe you get a friend that says, let's go do this. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then another person jumps in like, I'll do it. And all of a sudden you're like, uh, all right, I'm in. Or maybe you're a plus five. Maybe your very degree is a plus five. And if all of a sudden you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then four or five people start doing it. Now you get caught up into it. And then he talks about how the mob mentality, there's always a one and a plus one. And the thing just grows exponentially. And all of a sudden, you get 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 people doing something. All of a sudden, everybody else, people just start drunk, coming in in droves. Even at some level, people who probably never would have done that before. They would never have that mentality. And he talks about that some of what's going on in the article at School Shootings is that sometimes what you have now is this plus one or plus two. That, that once that uh, Dylan, uh, I forgot the names at Columbine. My brain is short-circuiting. The guys in the Columbine shooting. Names, help me. Dylan, uh, Yes, Klebold and what? Uh, anyway, I can't remember the names. They, they for some, some kid out there, they were the plus one. And then somebody else did it, and then, then somebody else like, now two have done it. And then all of a sudden you get 15, 20, 30 of these, and all of a sudden you get people who are like, man, I can't believe they do something like that. All of a sudden there's been so many pluses, they find themselves caught up, and the barrier gets broken down. I don't know if it's, it's just a fascinating read. But in this moment, the reason why I bring up Gravel's writing, in this moment you get a full-on mob mentality. And they're about to do some things in a mob that are absolutely crazy. Moving on. It says, uh, all people rose as one man saying, not one of us will go home. So the issue is, one man stood up and yelled that. Somebody else stood up with him. Somebody else stood up. And the next thing you know, Whoa! we're all just worked up into this frenzy. They're worked up into this. It says, uh, but now this is what we'll do uh, to Gibeah. We'll go against it. Uh, as the lot directs. We'll take ten men out of every hundred from all the tribes of Israel and a hundred from a thousand, a thousand, ten thousand to get provisions for the army. Uh, then when the army arrives at Gibeon and Benjamin, he can give them what they deserve for all this vileness done in Israel. Keep in mind, it wasn't all of Gibeah. It was some men. And now they're going to wipe out an entire city because of this Levite's testimony. 
So, so all the men of Israel got together, united as one man against the city. The tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, What about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. From their towns they came together at Gibeah to fight against the Israelites. Again, here's another thing. I think as Americans we can struggle with this at times. You know, sometimes it's, it's right or wrong. It's country and flag, man. Right or wrong. You know, we're blood. We stick together. So whether it's as a family or as a country, there have been times in our history we've, we've united around very vile things. Vile things we've united around under the banner uh, of a flag. You know, and we can go through and look at, at times in our history, it's like, man, I, I wish we, we wouldn't have done that. I wish we would have handled that differently. I wish, I wish we would have made a different decision right now. What the Benjamites needed to do is calmer heads prevail here. But they're in that attitude of like, you're not going to take ours. We'll do whatever we've got to do to defend. And under the name of family, they're going to go way too far right now. And, uh, and it's going to cost them dearly. So what? I have a question. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he does. Yeah, I don't know what he does. We don't, we don't learn a whole lot about him from here on out. Uh, it really kind of, the story takes a turn here. It says that once the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from their towns, in addition to 700 chosen men from those living in Gibeah, among all those soldiers, there were 700 chosen men who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now keep in mind, this is why I talk about when David... Lives out there slinging. That's why I don't think David killing Goliath is quite, this is my opinion, doesn't make it right. Does not make it right. That's why I always say, I don't know the biggest miracle is the fact that David killed Goliath. I think to me, or not miracle, the biggest part of the story. It's, it's mind-boggling. To me, the biggest part of the story is what he does with the head afterwards. They could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. I think when David saw the size of Goliath's cranium, he's like, <laughs> I get that all day long. He's like, are you kidding me? It's like for a golfer, he's got a three-foot putt and the hole is this big. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm going to have to work to miss that. I think, Goliath, I think David looked at Goliath and was like, wow, that is one large melon. Wow, this is even going to be hard. I, I will run and hit this guy. Bam! Knocks him in the head. Uh, it's interesting, the whole thing of left-handed. That would probably have been their, I'm going to tangents, that not really matter. A left-handed person in battle, they would have been their own little regiment. Because the last thing you want as a soldier is somebody, you know, if you're right-handed, hit me in the head. It's a cool thing they do here. These guys are just lethal. Uh, they can literally knock a hair off your head. When you hear these stones and these slingshots, please don't picture what you had as a little kid. You know, the little wooden one with a little surgical tube that you pull back and you shot acorns out of. No, 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 no. These are long. They whip around the head, you know. And, and when you release it, these things would have been a, a stone probably the size, like, Somewhere between uh, probably what's called a baseball-sized stone is what they would have been slinging. You know, we say five little stones he took. No, they weren't little stones. They're about the size of a baseball. You know, I don't know where David's like picking up these stones and carrying them. You know, they weren't little bitty. We get in our mind that they're these little river rocks like we get down at Spring River. They weren't like that. These things, they would have, get, they would have picked up some stones. Some of these things, they would, have, they would have chosen for battle. I mean, they would have picked out good stones that would fly well. And, you know, it, it, this was thought out. It wasn't like they were just like winging it. You know, like we run around the backyard, pick up a rock, and flick it at a bird, and the rock may go this way or go that way. You know what I mean? Some of the rocks we fly, it's like, I mean, we'll let go of the slingshot. You don't really know where it's going to go. Like, it might, half the time, mine dropped at my feet because I'd mess up shooting it. When these guys sling these things, they'll knock a hair off your head. 
That's a stone about the size of a baseball coming at 90 miles an hour. 90 miles an hour. Taking a rock in the head. You've watched a Major League Baseball player take a baseball, not nearly as hard as a rock, hit him in the arm, and they're down. I mean, how many times did Kane get hit in the hand you know, the World Series, or Perez, sorry, get hit in the hand of the World Series, and he, man, he's out. If you ever played baseball and you've been hit, it hurts. Imagine a rock coming to your forehead at 90 miles an hour. Coming, I mean, it's, it's flying, and a big rock at that. Um, moving on, it says, uh, Israel, apart from Benjamin, must, uh, Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men, swordsmen, all of them fighting men. These are all experienced warriors. The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. Man, we got to watch your time. Oh, good night, Jason. Uh, got to fast forward through this. No, they, okay, they inquire of God. I'm going to skip over this stuff. They inquire of God. Um, they said, uh, whoever should go first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall go first. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn back to Judges, chapter 1. I want you to watch the book in here. I want you to see the book in here. Judges chapter 1. The Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. Flip back to this chapter. Verse 18. Who of us shall go first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall be first. It's just Interesting. As you watch that playing out, what the writer's doing right now, and how he is, while these things could have very easily been put at the beginning of the book, he's showing you this great tension as a writer drawn out, like, oh, you know, if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, wait, go back to the beginning. I mean, you're flipping back, and if you've ever read, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever your favorite book is, if you're a Harry Potter fan, or if you're, a, I don't know what your favorite books are, I'm a Tom Clancy fan, but that moment you're like, wait, and you're trying to find that part of the chapter, you're flipping back, like, are you kidding me? Like, he talked about this clear back there. Like, you're surprised. Like, somehow this writer didn't get it. You're like, oh, he mentioned that at the very beginning of the book. Did he know? Yeah, he wrote the book he knew. What, what I think Sam was doing right now is, like, this is an aha moment. Like, oh, Judah, we just read that. Wow. Go back to, they didn't say chapter one. We do. He says, the next morning the Israelites got up and they, uh, they pitched camp near, near Gibeah. Uh, the men of Israel went out to fight the Benjamites. They took a battle position to Gibeah. The Benjamites came out to Gibeah and they cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. You're like, how do they cut down? There's a lot smaller force. How do they cut down 22,000? Where's Gibeah? I told you it was chilly because where? What? Up in the hills. Up in the hills. These guys are sucking them in and kill them as they come in. It is a military tactic. It is brilliant what the Benjamites do. They don't have near the force of the Israelites. And they're like, you want to fight us? Come fight us. We're right here. Come on up. Make your way to Gibeah. You want to take this town? Bring it. And a much smaller force wipes out 22,000 men because they can only send so many men in. They try to send them in up this valley. Every time they try to come up and get up to the hill country, they're just boom, boom. they got the high ground. They're just slaughtering them. Just picking them off left and right. Um... Uh, the men of Israel encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. The Israelites went up, wept before the Lord until evening. They're weeping because they can't slaughter their own people. I can't imagine what this sounds like in God's ears. And he says, And they cried of the Lord, Shall we go up again to battle against the Benjamites, our brothers? And I think this time God's like, You're not going to listen. Yeah, go on. Go on. 
That's what you want. Go up. Just go do it. I don't think it's... Understand, I don't think this is God giving His blessing. I think He's just saying, fine, just, just going up after Him. The Israelites drew uh, near Benjamin the second day. This time when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 18,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. Then the Israelites, all the people, went up to Bethel. And there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening. They presented burnt offerings, fellowship offerings. Keep going down here. Eliezer, shall we go up again to battle the brothers? Uh, i got to move fast. Uh, for tomorrow, I'll give them, he says, the Lord responded, go for tomorrow, I'll give, I'll give them into your hands. Then Israel set an ambush around Gibeah. I, I don't read that as God saying, yeah, go do this, go kill them. I think God at some point is saying, if this is what you want, if this is what you're going to do, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn you over to your own devices. You want to do this? Go on, go do it. Go on. You, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool to his folly. And he says, uh, I'll give them into your hands. Then Israel set an ambush uh, around Gibeah. They went up against the Benjamites on the third day. They took up positions in Gibeah. As they had done before, the Benjamites came out to meet them. They were drawn away from the city. They began to inflict casualties in the lights as before. So about 30 men fell in the open field. And he says... Uh, uh, on the roads, the one leading the Bethlehem. Verse 32, while the Benjamites were saying, we're defeating them as before, the Israelites were saying, let's retreat, draw them away from the city to the roads. They're trying to get them away from the city, away from the high ground. And he says, and all the men of Israel moved up in their place and took positions at Beltamar. Uh, and then 10,000 of Israel's finest men made a frontal attack on Gibeah. The fighting was so heavy that the Benjamites did not realize uh, how near disaster was. The Lord defeated uh, the Lord defeated Benjamin, uh, Benjamin before Israel. And on that day, Israel struck down 25,000 Benjamites, all armed with swords. Uh, the Benjamites saw that they were beaten. Uh, I want to I fly through this. We just don't have enough time to get into all the details. Um, what happens next is they, they literally don't just wipe out Gibeah, but then Israel commits genocide. I mean, sometimes revenge is like that. That it's never, it's never truly an eye for an eye. It's like... If somebody does something to you, you got to do that to them and then ten more. You know, I know that you know, I'm the worst when it comes to practical jokes. Somebody plays a joke on me, I will play the joke back and times twelve. Uh, you know, just it's not revenge, it's just maybe I'll use revenge. I need to I need to counsel that a little bit on heart. I'm not gonna be playful, but yeah. Uh, but they do it times twelve, man. I mean it's just they literally wipe out every single city in Benjamin. Slaughter them all. Not just one town. They slaughter them all until there's only every man, woman, and child. Under the word of this Levite, some men, they slaughter the entire tribe. There's only 600 men left. Every single woman is dead. Over one Levite's word. They slaughter the entire tribe. There's some cool correlations I can tell you from Genesis about Benjamin that we're not going to get into, but it's interesting how this gets predicted in Genesis. Um, uh, we're going to skip down here. On that day, 25,000 Benjamin sword might fell, all the valiant fighters, uh, but 600 men turned and fled into the desert to the Rock of Rimmon where they stayed for four months. Uh, the Israelites went back to Benjamin and put all the towns of the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns they came across, they set on fire. Um, the next thing gets interesting. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. Not one of us will give his daughter to marriage to a Benjamite. Now, what does that mean? You just, you just draw them to extinction. you just doomed. They're going to be extinct. I've got about 
seven or eight minutes to, to finish this chapter. He says, the people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening. I understand, they've just given a vow. This is a sick, demented vow, what they do. Impulsively, none of us will give our wives in marriage to, to anyone from Benjamin. And they know what they've done. They've just slaughtered every woman, child, every one of them. Not just from Gibeah, where the offense took, pl- the offense took place. Every city in Benjamin. Now remember, before I forget to tell you, who do they make their first king? Okay, what's the town? What's the town where all this garbage takes place? Gibeah. Who's the first king of Israel? Saul. What's the town that Israel hates more than any other town? Gibeah. Where's Saul from? I love that. I love what the writer does. Love it, love it, love it, love it. I think it's fascinating. That when God chooses a king, he says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. I choose Saul from Gibeah. I don't know if Saul is one of the 600 that escapes. I don't know. How much time went by? I don't know. I want to know that, and I don't know that. I know that Samuel, this would have been very early on. Nah, Saul wouldn't have been alive yet. Nah, because this is early on. But at some point, the town either gets rebuilt or something happens. I need to find out. That's intriguing. I don't know if Saul could have been one of the 600. I don't know the timeline. This would have been, this been, this been like, yeah, this is too big of a timeline to, to have been Saul, been one of the 600. But, uh, but I find it fascinating. The first king God gives him is it's basically like, you know, one of the worst things you can do as you're training a dog is to, you know, when they go poop in the carpet, you're not supposed to rub their nose in it. But this is the equivalent of them going, you want a king? Here, let me give you a king. I'm just going to rub your nose in your own excrement. I'm going to give you a king from Gibeah. And you know that every Israelite's like, oh, we've been asking for a king. We've been asking for a king. We got ourselves a king. Why couldn't it be from Bethlehem? Why couldn't it have been from, you know, Jabesh Gilead? Why couldn't it have been from Why did it got to be from Gilead? We hate people from, Gilead, from Gibeah. I just find it interesting that God chose him. I just think that's a cool angle on it. Moving on. Says, uh, so they make this vow that no one's going to get, no one's going to get the, uh, you know, a wife from them for, for the Benjamites. Oh, Lord God of Israel, they cried, why uh, has this happened to Israel? Because your heart is corrupt. God's like, I, this is not on me. You know, and at times I think in our own sin, we're like, God, why did this happen? He's like, why did it happen that you're in deep debt and you're absolute financial crisis? Because you never submitted your money to me. Why did it happen that your marriage is absolutely falling apart? It's because you went out and you did this, and that's the results of it, or because of your addiction, or because of this. He's like, God's like, stop. Your own heart is corrupt, and your own heart has led you to this place. And that's where they're at. They're crying out to God, saying, why, oh God, why, oh God, why? You know, why should one, so here they say, why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? So they get it, now they're weeping. They've made a promise before God that none will give a wife, and then all of a sudden it hits them. Oh! <gasps> We just caused one of them to be extinct. Oh, oh no. Like we just wiped out a tribe. So now they're wailing and crying over it. Early the next day, the people built an altar and presented offerings and fellowship offerings. The Israelites, who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble for... Oh wait. He says, who from all the tribes of Israel has failed to assemble for the Lord? For they had taken a solemn oath that anyone who failed to assemble for the Lord at Mizpah should certainly be put to death. Watch what they're about to do. They have this big victory. They destroy all the people from Benjamin. And we're all going to get here to Mizpah. And whoever doesn't meet, meet at Mizpah, you know, we're going to put them to the sword as well. And I think this is one of those mob mentalities where we all feel guilty. So let's all get together and cry out before God over what we've done. And whoever's not here, you know, we're going to kill you. Just so much killing going on. It says, now the Israelites grieved for the brothers 
Remember, uh, they're going to they're gonna put to death whoever doesn't show up. Now, the Israelites grieve for the brothers of Benjamites. Today, one tribe is cut from Israel, they said. How can we provide wives to those who are left, since we've taken an oath from the Lord not to give them uh, any of our sons and daughters in marriage? When they asked which one of the tribes of Israel fell to assemble for the Lord of Mizpah, they discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. I don't know if they didn't get the email. I don't know if they weren't in the group text. But for some reason, Jabesh Gilead doesn't show up. Um, he says, for they uh, counted the people, and they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead were there. So they assembled. They sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and put to the sword those living there. It just doesn't stop, including the women and children. I'm like, well, hey, why? Yeah, anyway. And this is what you're to do. Kill every male, every woman who is not a virgin. These are the same people who, I don't know if they just fought with them to destroy the Benjamites. I don't know. But they're now they're destroying again their own people. Every woman who's not a virgin. How do they know that? I don't know. I, I don't even want to know how they investigate that. They found people living, uh, they found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man. And they took them to camp at Shiloh and Canaan. All right, a couple things. Again, how do you know they're not slept with a man? That's probably a horrific story uh, within a story. But in addition, somebody do the math. What's the problem? How many were short? 200. We're short 200. So, you have just now killed all the Benjamites because of what some men did in Gibeah. And now you have just gone through and slaughtered an entire town because they didn't come to the family reunion. They didn't come to the meeting. You know, they weren't there. And now you're going, you're slaughtering men, women, and children? You're slaughtering families because they didn't come to your meeting? It just doesn't, it's just absolutely asinine. It's just insane the way this is all playing out. It says, the whole assembly sent an, uh, sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites of the Rock of Rimmon. So the Benjamites returned at that time. I'm like, I don't know what that offering of peace was. I'm like, why in the world? I can't imagine the utter hatred they had. Can you imagine these 600 people come back and you've killed their mothers, their fathers, their grandparents? You've slaughtered. I cannot imagine these 600 men walking back into Israel. It says, uh, they were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared, but there was not enough for all of them. The people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made the gap in the tribe of Israel. And the elders of the symbol said, uh, With the women of Benjamin destroyed, how should we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs. Now keep in mind, they can't do what? What can they not do? Huh? They can't give their own daughters. Okay, they can't give their daughters in marriage. So watch what's about to happen. <clears throat> He says, the Benjamin survivors must have heirs, they said, so that a tribe of Israel won't be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters and wives, since we are Israelites, have taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to Benjamites. They made that wife oath. But look, there's an annual festival of the Lord of Shiloh to the north of Bethel, the, the east of the road. Probably the Passover is what we think it is. They tell where it's at. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, go and hide on the vineyards and watch. When the girls of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing... Then rush from the vineyards, each of you, seize a wife from the girls in Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. And now we have another case of rape. 200 women are now raped. Which is why they killed all these Exactly! It's why they killed them. They're fools. It doesn't make any sense. It's just tragedy upon tragedy. These girls are at probably the Passover feast, most likely, or the Feast of Tabernacles. They're celebrating before God. This is a huge feast they're having. They're in the midst of... This is the equivalent of running in during communion. 
and grabbing these girls and ripping them out. Or, you know, on a church retreat, you know, send the kids away to camp. I don't know what it is. These guys rush and steal 200 girls. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, do us a kindness by helping them. You also got to keep in mind, they're not getting the... You know, part of what you got as a dad back then... Oh, what's the word for it? They would give you uh, the dowry. They're not getting any of the dowry. They're not getting anything. I mean, it's just <clears throat> offense upon offense. Uh, when their fathers or brothers complain to us, we'll say to them, do us a kindness by helping them. Uh, because we did not get uh, uh, wives for them during the war. And you are innocent since you did not give your daughters to them. So, hey, you didn't break your oath. Your daughter was stolen. Be okay with that. Do me a kindness. Let this one slide. I know they stole your only daughter as a virgin and they're raping her right now. But hey, do me a favor here. Let that go. But do they care about their daughters? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We know that some do. Because here you see a daughter being, cap- being, being captured. But we're going to bookend again now. We meet a daughter. This book ends with daughters. A group of daughters being violated. But it also begins with a daughter. Remember the story of Othniel? Remember the story of uh, O.O. named Caleb's daughter? Remember this beautiful woman who's got, you know, spunk about her, goes and asks her dad for a blessing? I just think what it shows you again, just in the writing, just the utter disregard for women, the utter disregard when people don't follow the ways of the Lord. Yeah, at this point they don't. And I think what you're seeing is, you're watching personal failure at a moral level with this Levite. He's personally corrupt. It turns into this failure at a level of society where the culture is corrupt. You know, and you see all this sin and debauchery and all this horrific stuff. And now you're seeing a collapse at a political level that they're unraveling. And then finally you see a collapse to the point that it reaches civil war. That man, the corrupt, it's not an outside force that's tearing them apart. It's their own inside fighting. So let's finish the book with this. So this is what the Benjamites did. While the girls were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. It, yeah, yeah, This is not Sadie Hawkins type stuff. Okay, This is horrific. These girls are screaming. They're kicking. They're crying out, looking at their fathers for protection. Their fathers don't know what's going on. Imagine swords are being drawn. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if it's just a private party, girls only. I don't know what. I can't envision... Maybe there's no men around at this point in time. I don't know what happens, but I I see these girls screaming and yelling. There's mayhem. They're running all over the place. He says, they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. Listen, we're going to end. It says, at that time, uh, the Israelites left that place and each went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. Oh, Jesus, please help me remember where this is. Oh, Lord, help me remember. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, man, where is it? Here he goes. I want you to bookend the victory. Look at Joshua, at the very end of Joshua, and watch how these two books end. And we'll, we'll wrap up with this. You've got Joshua chapter 24. I want you to see the triumph and the joy that you find with Joshua when it says, Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. The, the victory that came through faith, the victory that came through conquering, the victory that came through we're taking the promised land. And then look at the utter tragedy of an immoral people with a similar verse. At the time the Israelites left the place, 
went home to the tribes and, and clans, each his own inheritance. And in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. Um, hopefully you enjoyed the book. I know that I loved unpacking it with you guys. Uh, I just think sometimes uh, I love the Old Testament because I think there's a lot of things we can learn from it in our own lives. And uh, you know, I think if I could if I could land with anything, it land with that phrase we started with several weeks ago. What did we have to tolerate? Eventually, come to accept. And and these people, they begin to tolerate idolatry, corrupt hearts, sin, evil, to the point where it came such such a hold on them that they couldn't even they couldn't even see what was right anymore they couldn't even see holiness but uh, it's a great book I told you it was ugly I told you it was a tough one most people are like why in the world do you want to teach judges I think we have a lot to learn from it and so love teaching you guys love being with you this is our last week if you didn't know that we had to cram three chapters in tonight so thank you guys for hanging out with me for all these weeks and uh, hopefully I'll be uh, looking at teaching another adult class next, next spring love if you, some of you guys want to come back for that one I know they're teaching Romans in there Scott's asking me if I want to teach again. So, man, I'd love to hang out with some of you guys again and unpack uh, another text with you. So, man, great for you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.